guys, welcome to Trinity Church Online. For more information, please visit us at ourtrinity.org or you can find us on Facebook at Trinity Church of Wheat Ridge or even on Instagram at Trinity Church CO. No matter where you are today, we are glad that you have joined us here. Good morning. We're really excited that you have chosen to worship with us today. We're going to go back to our series on directions and corrections. It's been a study of uh, 1 Corinthians. Today, we're ready to look at our 30th study in the series, Qualities of Love. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know, Forrest Gump asked a question. And when he responded, this is what he said. I know what love is, Jenny. I wonder if we really know what love is. I trust by the time we get done with this message today, you'll really understand what love is. Let's look at verses 4 through 7. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up or arrogant. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil or give any account of evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Last time we looked at verses 1 to 3, and we focused in on the emptiness that is produced when love is absent. So when love is absent, then there's emptiness. And verses 4 to 7 that we just read focuses in on fullness. And fullness is produced when love is present. So when love is present, there's fullness. I want to illustrate it with this balloon this morning. This balloon is empty. Now, if you can use your imagination and pretend that my hot air is love, we'll try to see if we can fill this up. See, at the absence of love, it is empty. But with the presence of love, there's fullness. But see, at any time, there can be emptiness. So Paul wants to paint for us a portrait of love. And Jesus is actually setting for the portrait. This picture of love is really the picture of Jesus. So there are 15 brushstrokes that we're going to look at in painting this portrait of Jesus. And each brushstroke is really a facet of love. It's a facet of agape love. And every facet, every brushstroke in the Greek is a verb. That means it's an action word. Every brushstroke brings us into an action word of love. Agape love is active. Not only does it feel something or say something, it actually practices something. So Jesus' love acted. Love is fully love only when it acts. Because love is something we do. Not just what we say, not just what we feel. So Paul begins to break down love into small pieces, if you will, into brushstrokes that we might be able to understand and to be able to apply its meaning and its action for our life. Now he doesn't want to just instruct us about love. He wants us to change our living out of love. So Paul wants to measure our love against these characteristics of love, against these characteristics of Jesus. 
Let's bow together. Father, we would ask that your spirit would take your word and show us what love is all about. That we will see the action of love. That we would get a beautiful portrait of Jesus this morning and be able to compare our love to his love. And so, Lord, we would ask that your word would be powerful and sharp and it would go and accomplish that which you choose in our lives this morning, that we might be people who demonstrate and live out love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first brushstroke, if you will, in this portrait of Jesus is patience. Love is patient. We see that in verse 4. That means love is something that suffers long. Love practices being patient, long-suffering, long-tempered. The word is used to mean to be patient with people, not just circumstances, not just events. So it's the ability to be inconvenienced. It's the ability to be taken advantage of by a person, yet not becoming upset, not becoming angry. Now, this was not a virtue in the Greek culture. In fact, Aristotle taught that Greeks refused to tolerate any insult, any injury, and they were to strike back at retaliation at the slightest injury, the slightest offense. So vengeance was a virtue in the Greek culture. Well, love does not retaliate. It does not take revenge. And I wonder if we can see Jesus this morning on the cross. He was dying on the cross, giving his life for all of mankind, and yet he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, Abraham Lincoln was to debate Edwin Stanton, and Stanton absolutely slandered Abraham Lincoln. In fact, he kept calling him a gorilla, but Lincoln never responded to the slander. And after Lincoln became president, he made Stanton his secretary of war. And after Lincoln had been assassinated and he was laying in his coffin, Stanton came by the coffin and he said these words, there lies the greatest man and ruler of men the world has ever seen. You see, his slander was broken by Lincoln's long suffering, by Lincoln's non-retaliatory spirit of love. The second brushstroke that we want to paint this morning is love is kind. We see that in verse 4. Patience is going to take anything that's given to us, but kindness will give anything to other people. It means to be useful. It means to be serving. It means to be gracious. It works literally for the welfare of other people. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, If anyone compels for you to go one mile, go with him two miles. If anyone wants to take your cloak, let him take your tunic as well. And in Titus chapter 3, Paul says that the kingdom was kindness and love. And it was demonstrated not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy and His kindness, He loved us. So kindness gives up our selfishness. Kindness gives up our jealousy. It gives up our spiteful and proudful attitudes. So the third brushstroke we have is that love is not jealous. See that in verse 4. It does not envy that's the, the first of the negative descriptions of love. And Paul's going to give us eight negative descriptions of what love is not to be. It's a portrait of how Jesus did not love. 
So love and jealousy, those two words, where one is, the other one cannot be. And jealousy has two functions, it has two forms. The first says, well, I want what somebody else has, or I wish they didn't have what they had. The second part of that is it desires evil for someone. We see that in 1 Kings chapter 3, when two women claimed the same child, and Solomon had to make a decision. But because of the jealousy of the one woman who was willing for the child to die rather than for this other woman to have her, he was able to see and who the real mother was. So when love sees someone who's popular, when he sees somebody who is successful, who is beautiful, who is talented, it's glad for them. It's excited for them. It's not envious. It's not jealous. And I think, again, the example of Jonathan and David. Here was David. He was definitely a superior warrior. He was a more popular warrior. Uh, the, the throne that really was going to belong and, and to Jonathan and he should inherit it. Uh, here David was going to be the one that was going to inherit that throne. And yet Jonathan was willing to sacrifice his life for David. The fourth brushstroke that we see here is love does not brag in verse 4. That means it does not parade itself. See, love is not boastful. The word here means to talk conceitedly. Love does not parade its accomplishments, trying to make others jealous by what we have. Bragging puts ourselves first. And C.S. Lewis had this to say, it's impossible to build ourselves up without putting others down. When we brag, we can be up only if others are down. And we see Jesus' example in Philippians chapter 2. He made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was found in likeness as man, and he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. The fifth brushstroke here is that love is not arrogant. In verse 4 it says, it is not something that is puffed up. Now the Corinthian believers thought that they had arrived. They thought they had reached perfection. But everything they had came from, the, from God, and yet they refused to acknowledge that. They had no reason to boast. They had no reason to be arrogant. But they were puffed up, and they were arrogant. They were arrogant about their knowledge, especially of the doctrine which they felt they had all down pat. They felt their spiritual gifts were superior to anybody else's spiritual gifts. They thought that they had the most famous of all teachers and leaders. They even boasted about their carnality and their worldliness and idolatry and even their immorality. But rather than arrogance, what they needed was repentance. And I can't help but think of John the Baptist. And here's John's description of Jesus. He said, I'm not even willing to even stoop down and to untie his laces of his sandals. He must increase, but I must decrease. See, arrogance is big-headed, but love is big-hearted. The sixth brushstroke here is love does not act in an unbecoming way in verse 5. It does not behave rudely. The word here means poor manners along with rudeness. It doesn't act politely. See, how polite do we act around others? It can be careless around others. It can be overbearing, not sensitive to the feelings of others, and even to the point of being rude and crude towards other people. See, when they were celebrating the Lord's Supper, these Corinthians 
were self-centered. They waited upon themselves. They waited first. They didn't care if others had anything to eat or not. And Jesus said, he who forgives little loves little. And that was spoken to Simon, who was a Pharisee. When the woman came and began to wash Jesus' feet with her hair, what was improper was not her actions. What was improper was Simon's attitude towards her. And at times, our attitude and our behavior in the name of righteousness, in the, in the name of what is justice, is really more impro improper and more uh, not being righteous than some of the things that we try to say that we criticize. Love is gracious. Love is considerate. The seventh brushstroke here is love does not seek its own in verse 5. There's a tombstone in a small English village that reads like this. Here lies a miser who lived for himself and cared for nothing but gathering wealth. Now where he is and how he fares, nobody knows and nobody cares. See, the root of every sin is wanting to have our own way. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve. Rather than choosing God's way, they chose their own way and went independent of God. Self replaced God. See, love is not preoccupied with its own things, but with the interest and in the things of others. See, where's our love? Is it interested in our own things or the things of others? See, the Corinthians did not share their food at the love feasts. They protected their rights by actually taking fellow believers uh, into law courts. They wanted the best of the spiritual gifts. They wanted those gifts for their own advantage rather than to really serve others. But Matthew 20 tells us Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. The eighth stroke of the brush that paints the portrait of Jesus is that love is not provoked in verse 5. The word means to arouse, to anger. Now we talk about righteous indignation, and that is certainly to be angered at the mistreatment of those who are unfortunate, or the maligning and the uh, contradiction of God's word. It's all right to have a righteous indignation about that. But when truly righteous, indignation is never provoked by something done against us personally. See, we should certainly be angered by the things that anger God. And Paul spoke against heresy. He spoke against immorality. But he did not become angry when he was abused, when he was maligned, when he was beaten, when he was jailed, when he was lied about. See, love does not react in self-defense. It does not react in retaliation. Lovelessness always loses more than it ever gains. In husbands and wife relationships, telling our spouse that we love them is not convincing if we get upset and angry at everything they say and do and we're constantly on each other's cases. And parents telling our children that we love them is not convincing if we keep yelling at them every time they irritate us or every time they interfere with our plans. I hear men say, well, I lose my temper a lot, but it's all over in a few minutes. Well, so is a nuclear bomb. The only cure for self-centeredness is to center our attention on the well-being of others. That ninth brushstroke is that love does not 
take into account a wrong suffered. You see that in verse 5. It thinks no evil. This is a very interesting term here. Because the word is a bookkeeping term. It means to calculate. It means to reckon. It's when figuring an entry and then putting that into a ledger. And the purpose of the entry is to make a permanent record so it can be consulted whenever necessary. Are you beginning to get the picture here? Keeping track of things done against us. That's the surest way to unhappiness. When our sin comes under the blood of Jesus Christ, it is no longer accounted to us. It is no longer on the ledger. It is blotted out. There's no more record of it. It's as if God is saying to us, what sin? See, we need to learn this kind of love. Love does not keep record of wrong done against it. It never records later. Love forgets and forgives. Love keeps no books because it has no place for resentment. It has no place for grudges. So the tenth broad stroke in our portrait of Jesus is that love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Look at verse 6. The word there is iniquity. To rejoice in unrighteousness is to actually justify sin. So it is making wrong to appear to be right. And so much of the media around us today is doing exactly that. Everything goes. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Everyone has their own standard of what is right and what is wrong. And I, as I looked at this, I thought probably one of the most common forms of rejoicing is gossip. Many times the heart of gossip is rejoicing in evil. When we gloat over, for instance, the shortcomings and the sins of other people, then that makes gossip itself a sin. To love a person is to hate their sin. And you get believers who begin to sin. And that sin becomes evident by their disobedience. It becomes evidence by their broken fellowship with God. We don't rejoice in their sin. We don't rejoice in their falling away from God. We help them come to Christ. And we help them restore their fellowship with God. The 11th breaststroke here is love rejoices with the truth in verse 6. It rejoices with the truth. After listing eight negatives here of what love is not and how Jesus did not love, Paul lists five more positives. Rather than rejoicing in unrighteousness, love rejoices in the truth. Now that is just not factual truth. It's not just factual information. It's God's truth. It's His revealed truth. See, love does not tolerate wrong doctrine. And today we say, well, it doesn't really make any difference what you believe. It doesn't make any difference. We don't have to agree on our doctrine. We just have to love one another. I want to tell you that is not true. What people believe matters. It affects their souls. It affects their eternal destiny. It affects God's will for their life. Love never compromises the truth. Jesus said, this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. Think about that statement. How do we demonstrate love? By walking according to doctrine, by walking according to the commandments, by walking according to the truth. That means there is a standard 
we are to live by. Love rejoices in those who not only teach the truth, but those who also live the truth. The twelfth brushstroke is love bears all things in verse 7. The word bear means to cover. It means to support. Therefore, to protect. Love never protects sin, but it does protect the sinner. We don't live to expose someone's faults. We don't live to expose their failures. Love does not expose. Love does not exploit. Love does not gloat. It doesn't condemn. Rather, it supports. And it moves alongside to protect and to cover the person. Proverbs 10.12 says that hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Now, certainly love warns, love corrects, it rebukes, it disciplines, but it does, it does not expose and it does not broadcast the failures and the wrongs of others. Remember the mercy seat? That's where the blood of atonement was sprinkled as a covering. So here's the mercy seat, which is a covering, but the blood was also a covering for the sins of the people. It was a place of covering. Well, at the cross, God threw His great mantle of love forever over sin, covering it. Love bore the sin. Love covered the sin. It was redemptive. It buys back. It does not condemn. It saves. It does not judge. Oliver Cromwell was in England, and he was going to sentence a young soldier to die. And his fiancée came in and begged for mercy, begged for his life. But Cromwell said that he was going to be executed when the curfew bell rang. So there was a place of execution, and in the center of the town, there was a tower that had a bell in it, and it rang out for curfew each night. But Cromwell said, we will execute him when the curfew bell rings. So the day came for the soldier to be led out to be executed. And at the signal, it was given for the bell to ring. The bell didn't ring. So the signal was given again, and the bell did not ring. And the signal was given for a third time, and the bell did not ring. You see, this fiancé had wrapped and tied herself around the clapper of the bell. So every time that clapper struck against the bell, she was beaten and bruised, but the bell did not ring. And she went into Cromwell, and she explained to him what she had done. And he was able to commute the sentence. Love bears all things. The 13th brushstroke here is love believes all things. In verse 7, love is not suspicious. Love is not cynical. It believes the best in people, especially believers, not the worst because that's whom the mantle of love has covered. It has covered us all. And it treats others with trust. It treats them with respect. And they, and they know and trust that they will confess their sin. They will be forgiven and they will be restored. See, love considers a person innocent unless proven guilty. And Job's friends showed very few signs of love. They were ready to believe the worst about him rather than the best. They were convinced that his problems were really the result of his own sin. 
They gave him absolutely no benefit of the doubt. See, love does not look for the worst in people. It believes in the best. Love is a harbor. When trust is broken, then love's first reaction is to heal. It is to restore and to bring person into that harbor. Galatians chapter 6, 1 says, If a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one to gentleness. The 14th brushstroke of love is found in verse 7. Love hopes all things. Love still hopes even when belief in a loved one's goodness and repentance is shattered, it still hopes. When love runs out of faith, it holds on to hope. As long as God's grace is still operating, then human failure is never final. As long as there is life, love does not lose hope. When our hope becomes weak, we know that our love has also become weak. So we come to our final brushstroke. Love endures all things in verse 7. To endure was a military term. It was used of an army holding a position at all cost. Every hardship was to be held. Every suffering was to be made in order to endure to hold that ground at all cost. Love holds fast for those it loves. It always holds for those it loves. It stands against all kinds of overwhelming obstacles and opposition. It refuses to stop believing. It refuses to stop bearing. It refuses to stop hoping. Remember Stephen when he was being stoned? His love endured all the way to death. See, love bears when otherwise it is unbearable. When it seems unbearable, love still bears. Love believes when it's otherwise unbelievable. When it seems absolutely unbelievable, love still believes. Love hopes when it is otherwise hopeless. When everything seems hopeless, love still hopes. Love endures when everything else tells you to give up, when everything tells you to give up, love still endures. Now I want you to see this flow here. After love bears, it believes. And after it believes, it hopes. And after it hopes, it endures. You see, there's nothing beyond enduring. That is the final action of love. For endurance is the never-ending action of love. So I wonder this morning, have you seen the picture of love? Forrest Gump said, I know what love is. Do you know what love is? Do you have a new picture, an idea of what love is all about? You don't have to go any further than this passage of Scripture to understand what love is. Love is patient because Jesus was patient. Love is kind because Jesus was kind. Love is not jealous because Jesus is not jealous. Love does not brag because Jesus does not brag. Love is not arrogant because Jesus is not arrogant. 
Love does not act in an unbecoming, rude way because Jesus never acted that way. Love does not seek its own. Jesus never sought his own. Love is not provoked. Jesus was never provoked. Love does not take into an account a wrong suffered. Jesus never took into any account of the wrong that he suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Jesus never rejoiced in that. Love rejoices in the truth. Jesus was the truth. He was the way. He was the life. He rejoiced in the truth. Love bears all things. He bore all things. Love believes all things. He believed all things that the Father had sent him to do, to fulfill the will of the Father. Love hopes all things. Jesus gives us hope. He was the man of hope. And love finally endures all things because Jesus endured all things. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to just know about love. We ask that we would begin to live in love. That it would not be empty because love is absent, but there would be fullness because love is present. That means Jesus needs to be alive in us so that we might be patient and kind and not jealous and all of these brush strokes that we've looked at. That we might finally be able to get to the point of being able to endure as He endured. So love we would ask, so Jesus, we'd ask that the love of Jesus would be poured out like living water flowing from us and that others will know that we are Christians by our love. And it's your name we ask these things. Amen.